Hey boss. It's alright. In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are all graced with the presence of a co-host whose passion for our republic proceeds him wherever he goes. My dear friend, the lovely Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. I have a right to be here. This is episode number nine, season one. What right to work? You hear that often. We have states that are described as a right to work state, um, right to work policies, things like that. Title of this episode is what right to work? What is this right? Where does it come from? on the docket to try and travel this topic around, we're going to talk about having the right to work and that it doesn't feel very right-like. We also are going to talk about the future of work and the rise of competition within capitalism or more to the point, a need for more competition within capitalism. We're also going to talk about the retirement myth and an idea that is uh, much more worthy of our time. At least I would put it that way and see what you think. With that, let's go ahead and get started. So, Ray, this idea, this idea of having the right to work, um, <clears throat> pardon me, I, the first time I heard this phrase was after I moved to Arizona. Um, and then I, I discovered that where I grew up in Connecticut, Connecticut was a much more union-centered uh, environment, I would say, I guess, um, labor environment. Uh, moving to Arizona, it's a right-to-work state, and there really aren't a significant presence of unions or anything like that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure right-to-work is framed in and around all of that. I don't know how much broader it goes but even just with that definition and comparing it to our concept of a right it really doesn't they don't they don't go along they don't fit so to me the idea of the right to work sounds like some kind of uh branded propaganda yes i i grew up in arizona so i was aware of the right to work um status and it always confused me because <clears throat> they spoke about right to work and even in our education system it was actually it's actually part of um the curriculum from what i recall uh we, kidding we talk about the right to work um and it's interesting because i i remember it being framed in a way that made it sound positive but in my head i couldn't understand it because it seemed like you could be fired and it was a preferable business environment for companies, right? And people were moving to Arizona. Companies were moving out of states like California or from the East where unions were more prevalent and they were coming to Arizona. So it, it might've been an education in particular, uh, but definitely within the justification for why so many people were coming to Arizona, it was quite, 
common knowledge that it's our right to work status, which I think, again, is a nice way of saying a company can do whatever they want to you. I agree. Um, yeah, I think it's framed. It's framed in a way that's, uh, it's, <laughs> it was, it was interesting. So <clears throat> I managed in Arizona. Okay. So it was, it was interesting when you, when you work for a multi-state corporation like I do or did, they, um, <clears throat> you don't operate under the local laws, right? We don't, we don't, we didn't operate under Arizona's labor laws. We chose to go with the strictest labor laws within the, the company's footprint. So the company chose to follow California labor laws because they are the standard. They are the most robust and strict. If you, uh, if you want to have an efficient workforce across geographies, you just right. manage to the riskiest common denominator. And if, you know, those laws have the heaviest burden, as long as you're satisfying those laws, your whole company should be fine. It's a great principle, but it was also strange for me as a, as a manager. And I had to, there were people that would come from companies that were strictly Arizona local companies. And you could tell they had a much different idea about how they could be fired or and these companies would probably just tell them they could be fired if you do that. Whereas major corporations, which are subject to these laws, we have to kind of pull back that, that mentality. So anyone who worked for a small local Arizona company um, or frankly, a business, a local restaurant, they, the, the restaurants and all of those companies, they can just let you go because of the right to work status. So um, we would always say, oh, we do things different here because we're a national company. It's interesting because actually the right to work is the exact opposite. It's the right to be fired. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the right to fire. Um, and you know, I position it against unions and I, I have to come back to that because um, right to work, I think, is a reaction to over-unionization. Um, over-unionization, the way that unions may have become maybe too self-interested, lost sight of the long-term goals, long, the win-wins, whatever it was. And so then you could afford to hire many more people to do other menial jobs in these places, which means there were more jobs available. They weren't the same paying or they didn't have the same type of insurance and things like that coming along with it. Um, it kind of turned into a race to the bottom for labor, the right to work, <laughs> but it was really the right to fire uh, in so many cases. Uh, but it just meant, Hey, you know, you were free, you're a free agent. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, go to this other place. Whereas it, I think it's, it worked mythologically um, as propaganda, because one of the problems with unions, I would propose, I don't know them all, but when I think about the idea that, um, you know, they just drive labor costs up, but they aren't necessarily encouraging people to grow skills, expand, move on, do whatever, right? Um, and at the same time, they were not thinking longer term about all the people who would need to work. It's there's almost a greed mentality to a certain degree that happens um, with unions. They become a little too short-sighted, I think, as organizations. Not to say that they haven't accomplished great things. And 
um, serve a great uh, beneficial cause. Um, but the problem is, is the way we do all of these things tends to get all um, mucked up by money in so many ways. And, you know, this, this right to work idea just keeps unions out, period. And if we were, perhaps we were able to organize better in ways that were maybe, mm, I don't know, more considerate for both sides. I have no idea. I don't want to go into unions. I think you get into the, like what you're trying to, the problem is, is it's, it's the whole room where it happened issue, right? Like deals are made. Um, uh, there are there are things going on in a room where we're not having complete transparency, and I think that's what citizens' prerogative kind of our focus is: is that we believe that transparency is the means to 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 produce the best outcome, right? Anything done in secret, anything done in closed doors. So these unions did they become self interested? Now we really want people to help weigh in on right to work because right to work is a complicated. It's slightly complicated. I think in a lot of ways it's it's meant to weaken the unions but in fact it, it causes them to not even it, they don't even want to operate here right because it's not because people can just but it doesn't help do it. us i mean it ends up being right. a race to the bottom too right it's almost right. like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. i guess the way the phrase goes so there's no you protections know. right yeah. this right to work um so what i would like to hear more about is like what are the positive sides of right to work because for me i, I don't my research hasn't shown a positive upside to it, just that unions are controlled, which, which can weaken um, bargaining, collective bargaining. But again, is collective bargaining the way to go? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. And right to work is maybe like you don't have, you can work here without joining a union. You know, it's like, cause it, it becomes its own power structure in a way. And I, I don't know that the workers are always at the center. Um, although ideally they would be right. And then, yeah, right to work to me is just, uh, well, you know what? Let's just uh, laissez-faire it. <laughs> let's just not, let's just take all the uh, constraints off of things, you know? It's like, if it's a good company, you know, people would want to work there, and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I don't know how they think the market's going to work there for workers, but let's move on. Um, one of the things we want to establish with this is that the right to work is not a right, the right to unionize, that is, <laughs> uh, maybe not a bill a bi- in the Bill of Rights per se, uh, but the National Labor Relations Association, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know all the details there, but it is, it's in the law, you know, where workers are, are protected to be able to unionize. Um, it's undesirable to companies. And I would argue that long-term, it's proven to be undesirable to workers. I mean, you let it run its course and then you get these trade agreements and, you know, it destabilizes everything. You have to be cost conscious. You know what? People at the bottom, it doesn't work out any better for us when we get greedy than it does for the people at the top necessarily. It's just their problems are different. They're not hungry. At least they're not hungry for food. They're probably sad and hungry for something else whatever they can't have. But long story short, I digress. Uh, Point is, (laughs) the right to work is not a right. Actually, work should be a choice. That's my opinion. And um, unions, unions served, they're they're, they're old, like, (laughs) 
everything needs a, a nice revamp you know mm-hmm. our our system of government right now the party system and in particular these unions because i think the problem with unions is that they were created at a time when they were fighting the barons mm-hmm. and there were not laws that protected the individual worker there are federal level laws now that that have that have general protections and what you and coming from a management background as well, I struggled to see how a union official being involved in those conversations has any benefit, right? To me, it just seems like expense. It seems like bureaucracy. It seems like it gets in the way of business. So I understand where we came from as corporate America, right? But there are standards now. And if, you're, if your company's that bad that you have to unionize, why are you even part of that company? I suppose it's to change it for the better, right? I guess we could lean on Amazon employees let, as an yeah, example. Yeah, let me, let me push back. Please. You, unions work well to uplift an atrocious environment. A really unequal, atrocious, dangerous, like the most abhorrent, you know, it's always been there to bring up the bottom. We need it. We still need all of that to happen, like for farm uh, workers, for instance. Um, you know, they, they've been able to unionize, but, you know, the, the force there isn't as strong as it might have been like back when the auto workers established themselves a long time ago. Right. Point being this, if you had a union, look at your company, look at any company you're working in, anybody out there, right? If you aren't in a union, then imagine for a moment you had one. If you had one at your job, you're an accountant. You joined the accountant's union. You're an accountant for XYZ company. As a member of that union, they've negotiated, you only pay this much for health care. You get this much in your retirement account. It's not what the company chose to give you a cut of. It's what was negotiated by this other group who has more interest in you doing better and that works well to a point like you said if it's you know it's poorly managed or or the benefits aren't good enough you know and they're not attracting people in the competitive market then it's different but but so there's something there it's a check it's a balance it's trying to achieve an equilibrium again if it's not done well it gets unbalanced and not good things happen let's let's talk about the future of work. And before we get into that, a message from our sponsor. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with equal justice under the law, citizen do good values all of the amendments of the Constitution, along with the original core documents. It forms a framework and operating manual for the Republic. The time is now to deeply re-examine the current implementation of our system. We are a proud sponsor of Citizens Prerogative, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. Check out citizendogood.com where you can join our newsletter, support our efforts through Patreon, or shop our wares. Thank you. Moving along, let's talk a little bit about the future of work, and what I like to call the rise of competition within capitalism. So um, thinking about the future of work, automation is coming. The jobs we have now won't be the jobs people have in the future. Um, Who knows at what rate people are going to get transitioned out. But just assume, hmm, 
every job at some point can be automated. There's technology on the verge of every cutting edge. Um, If you're in management, that's ripe for machine learning, AI, algorithms, but the next level, not what's here today. All of middlemen, any, any kind of coaching or feedback type of things, um, development frameworks, a lot of those things are going to get automated. It's not just driving cars. It's not just flying planes. It's not just accounting or some of those, you know, more potentially repetitive activities that can get automated. There's some higher level thinking type stuff potentially and behavioral type stuff interacting with people, you know, and AI, well, I'm saying it now, we'll see if it's true in the future, but theoretically an AI manager shouldn't sexually harass you. Probably isn't interested in cutting your paycheck because they need more vacation money or something. Like, I don't know what's going on out there that's shady. I think there's probably a lot of stuff, but chances are a computer is not going to have those same motivations to treat you that way. It's probably going to be programmed to help improve your skills. You know, it it was shocking that you said that because I happen to be in the management uh, profession. And so you are speaking about my job there and the competition that will be created for me. But that's, I think you you made a good point is that uh, the, the things you said don't really happen, I think, too often, thankfully, in the world. But what does happen is an imbalance of treatment from employee to employee, right? So as you have uh, an organization with uh, 300,000 employees, okay, that equals how many thousands of managers, right, to manage all that. There is no way every single manager is going to stay on the same page in regards to uh, employee relations and HR management routines. So basic metrics, performance metrics, and attendance, et cetera, right? So I didn't even think about it, but if you can systematically, it's that easy, right? Oh, you called Mm -hmm. out. It's this simple, right? How much policy gets coached on, uh, people get coached on right now? How many errors do we make? How many times do HR departments say, oops, you didn't follow the ABCs of management, so you can't fire that person, even though you just told them they're fired, they're not fired, right? So this is the conundrum that companies are in, and I didn't realize it, but by machine, by just moving maybe the manager up a level and having that systematic management, you kind of like, you solve a lot of those personnel issues, right? And you're getting great canned reports on them. And their performance and their progress. From the AI. From, from the, the AI. Yeah. The interface. <laughs> Here's how they're performing. Once you know, a quarter, twice, maybe twice a year, you meet individually with them. Because there's a lot. So, you know, you got to do it all year long. One meeting. Well, because you probably have a large number of employees, right? You probably have yeah. the AI. The and the is huge. I didn't even imagine. So that increases efficiency and managers become... Oof. We have to be scientists. We have to, we aren't driving cars. We aren't, (laughs) what are we doing? We're sitting at home printing guns. I don't know. It doesn't, something doesn't jive. So the point is this, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, whatever we do today, we won't be doing tomorrow one way or another, whether it's existentially not doing this (laughs) or Still alive, doing something else. Hopefully something. I, 
better. You're absolutely right, Michael. And I told, I was even on a conference call earlier in my day job when I, when I, when I'm not in the super character of a political um, activist, when I'm just doing a normal <laughs> job and I'm, I, I told everyone, I said, if you are not developing a future skill, if you are not developing any new skill right now, you are at risk of being left behind by this economy. You must be developing an AI skill, some yes. sort of understanding. You know, for me, I, I, me, I, I've, I've done a lot of AI implementation already. So I, I understand framework. I'm an architect. I always say that. So that way, when if the job finally comes due, they'll be like, Ray said he was an architect. So, you know, it's- <laughs> Plant those seeds. You got to, right? But, yeah. but that's the challenge of, our, of the new economy. And I'm telling you right now, Michael, I think that the song for the um, automation uh, is, it's going to be one way or another. I'm going to, I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. coming. It's coming. One way or another, they're going to get you. They'll get you. They'll get you. They'll get you, get you, get you. Ah, these beat, these boots will keep on walking. Okay. Now you took us <laughs> anyway, to Sinatra. I did. Sorry. And I, you took us. Hey, wait, is that the same singer? I don't know. I have no idea. You, I sure you hope so for your sake. That's faith. the you only saving grace you'll have in this one. But that's that might be this that might be our opening, right? Let us know mm. what you think, audience. You know, like should that be our new opening? It's the uh, we're on the chase. And maybe actually, anytime we do automation. But I digress. Like I'm mm. I'm doing that as well. Um, Future of work. So it's not. It's definitely something else. And like you said, Ray, I think it can't be emphasized enough. Learning is lifelong skills constantly need to be tuned developed changed um be investing in yourself that's very important things are changing and they're changing more quickly every day one way or another ah so um this silver lining let's talk a little bit about this it, it, the, the economy is pent up. We have assets and resources pent up among billionaires, among Goliath, go, these massive companies, companies of companies within companies. Um, you know, there's just right now, there's, there's a huge amount of resources pent up for some change. It would be nice for it to be very positive for all of us. Um, so, you know, the capacity is there. And what's really important is that everybody gets a chance to participate. So when you look at history, you look at the swings of history and and you talk about monopoly power and antitrust and all that stuff. And we've maybe heard a little bit of that rumbling, but ultimately I think the economy is going to prove to be too dynamic with climate change, with green energy policies, with technology that it won't matter. Like, I think everything will just stay kind of destabilized and we're going to be moving into the new era yesterday. Um, with that said, it would be nice if more people were positioned for entrepreneurship. It would be nice if there were more smaller companies coming out of this. I would like to see a great Cambrian explosion of businesses, of science uh, studies of maybe just studios of people getting together to study novel problems. Like think about all of the free brain capacity that's going to be opened up when people aren't driving for a living, when they aren't programming necessarily. A lot of people will still be programming at a different level, but 
you know, whatever it is that we were doing that we're, we want to be doing tomorrow, let's think about what that is and make sure we're creating the opportunities for that as well. Um, I, I think there's a way to democratize work by having, you know, lots of, lots of solar companies, whatever it is, lots of those companies. Yes, there's redundancy. Before we get on this, redundancy is really only good for one owner of a business or whatever, or one company, one company to become efficient. It's good for an individual cell. It's good for an individual thing. But as a whole organism, as our economy or as our society, it's really important for us to have competition because that's the way we've structured it, right? Uh, competition within markets. We all play by the same rules. And everybody gets an opportunity to kind of operate in that space. The jobs exist across multiple companies. Different people get to take their spin on their brands and their values and their missions. And I just see everybody trying to pursue their happiness, whether it be in business or other endeavors, freely. Because we don't have to do all this menial work. Take it from... And we won't, right? We won't have to do the menial work. Um, robotics will continue to rise, you know, trash pickup, you know, that sort of thing. Things that we've really counted on humans to do um, will Wally. no longer be necessary. It's just... We don't want to become Wally, but that's kind yeah. of the kind of the road we're on. Well, the question is, we are on our way to Wally. We're all fully headed towards a wall a wally situation but i think that um wally we situation. have to this is kind of the pullback right like this is the point where america needs to decide if we are if we are really going to evolve for the better or for the worse if we continue to fall into corporate machine we will turn it that's what the, the i think wally actually had a very deep message about consumerism and and large corporation because by and large was the corporation they were also the president of the planet and they they owned everything right so all the shops and so i think what it was trying to also indicate is that we have to make sure that we don't let corporation and consumerism uh, take over, which is funny from a Disney corporation, but um, it, it's it, you don't we can't let them this monopoly or this idea of control. Frankly, some of these ideals that the right wing is pushing, right? That it, you just you subscribe to whatever we say. Um, there was even a part where in that movie they're educating the children, right? And it's the the robots like by and large your very best friend. Like so, how did? we're doing that today like in curriculum in curriculum we do that all the time like saying that slavery wasn't a big deal and they had barbecues it's the same thing it's manipulating the children well ladies and gentlemen everyone in between think about think about what we really want to spend our time on we get 80 years roughly give or take on this earth we don't want to be hungry we don't want to you know be ignorant we want to be able to pursue happiness these are really basic, fundamental human things. They're, a lot of them aren't wants. They're kind of, what was it, Maslow, Maslow, whatever the hierarchy of needs is. We have the means to take care of the needs so that we can be free to pursue whatever it is. I mean, imagine, I would, we would be on a starship by now if everybody who had the capacity, inclination, and interest to be a scientist or an inventor was free to be able to pursue that 
And if they failed, they weren't out on the street, hungry and poor, because they probably had another great invention. Like as an inventor, you have to be able to fail. What a terrible thing that most humans who have the capacity to do it just don't start with the proper means. Oh, and then the right to work. Well, you can go work your way up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Climb somebody else's ladder. Well, that ladder is a, is a falsehood, right? Because you, the right to work does not necessarily mean you will be successful. And unfortunately, the right to work is enabled by wealth. So you have to be part of the connected families. You have to be part of that network. And sure, people can claw their way up tooth and nail, but that is a fraction of who is making it into the C-suite. The people that are at the top were the people that were always at the top. Their fathers, their uncles, who they know. their grandparents. It's all the network. Yeah, or who they've invited in or gotten to know. Or, you know, it's just... And the union... Connection doesn't even fix that so that's why we no. advocate we need to we need to look at all of this because no. the union yeah. just collective bargains with those people in power and really the union should be enabling everyone mobility throughout the company yeah that i don't think they there. rose you're right they didn't rise to the full vision of what they could be as an institution right they've been nipping at the heels and then it's it just devolves I'm, I'm thinking now about Germany because, and please keep me honest, anybody out there, I didn't research this part ahead of it, but when I, there's a couple of things about the way Germany was structured. And, you know, I'm talking about Germany and the way it was structured on our type of Republican, you know, system um, with democracy built in it uh, for voting and whatnot. And, but the way they organize their economy is a little different naturally. And, one of the aspects I believe in their corporate structures, and I don't know how all of their corporate laws are, but my understanding is that when you incorporate, you, a part of your board is required to be some amount of representation of workers on the board, making decisions on behalf of the company. And the CEO, everybody who works for a company basically works for the board, right? The board is the oversight body. And so when you start adding workers to the oversight body of a corporation, wow, you just created a check of balance. It's very simple, clean, elegant, and it's, 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 it's keeping the interest of the company and in line with the interest of the people who work there. It's not a cooperative, right? It's not a collective. It's still a, a corporation. You you bring up Germany and I'm glad you do because I can't speak to them because I don't have the facts in front of me right here, but Germany had some of the, the most uh, aggressive uh, pandemic response to secure the economy and, and, and secure their people. Very generous uh, from what I understand and continues to be the best model of how to keep your economy running. And I think that they've come out of this thing, not completely unscathed, but looking better than a lot of us. Uh, Germany also has a lot of common sense laws like that. One I really like is on the Autobahn, of course, because you're truly freed, you get to speed as fast as reasonable. But if you do get a ticket in Germany, it's based on your income. So when you receive a, a speeding ticket, it's not based on the speed or anything, it's based on your income, which is so smart to me, right? Like You should feel the pain of breaking right. the law. <laughs> right. And not, and that's the problem. And that's, that's one of the citizen prerogative issues we have out there team is that 
team. Uh, that's uh, equality. Was, that's equality under the law. <laughs> equal pain. Equal pain from a fine. Because if you can't afford that two hundred dollar ticket, why do you, you know, care about the law? It destroys. Yeah, if you if you could just oh, it's a drop in a hat, right? No, no. No, Mr. Bezos, your ticket will be $2 million. <laughs> $2 million. <laughs> and that's probably being generous. And, then you're like, and just imagine what we can do with that $2 million. <laughs> oh, gosh. So funny. Um, and true. I mean, I only laugh maybe so I don't cry, but this is, <laughs> this is the system... And, you know, how, I just I feel I'm ingratiated because I have the opportunity to sit here and think these thoughts and, and to talk about them with you. You know, it's, it's a luxury, and I don't take it lightly. I mean, we've worked hard to be able to just sit here and have this conversation in this way. Correct. My goodness. We ain't young. We ain't spring chickens. No, no, we've been, you know, but I, I mean, you, I think it's thinking about the future, right? I, I don't think we ever thought that we said it a lot that our, our, we wouldn't end in banking. I mean, I was always okay with it, but you would say, but we're not going to die in banking. And I, and I used to say, <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I agree. But um, I was happy to, uh, but I think that now it's, you know, back then we had no idea about the automation that's coming. And now the writing's on the wall. So what the world we lived in. I mean, we were probably a little more idealistic in certain ways, I'm sure, than we are now. Too much real stuff has happened. I mean, not that fake stuff happened before, but you know what I mean? But we're still trying to be creative. We're still trying to keep that spark alive. And, and that's why we appreciate those of you that have joined us, those of you that are leaning into the conversation. And I appreciate you, Mike, because, you know, I don't think, I think if we had given up all of our hopes and dreams, we couldn't have these types of conversations. And I listen to other shows and I listen to other organizations and they all are, seem to be living in very dark places. And I would like to think, and our listeners keep us straight here, but we're trying to not only be, thoughtful and real but also we we believe there is a better way and we believe it's achievable and we we are trying to inspire not uh, depress so of course uh, when you join us in the conversation in season two we hope to have more of you um maybe you'll come on and tell me uh, we depressed you and uh, we're going to work on that together more jokes more giggles more girly giggles but the truth is hurts this episode unfortunately folks we we kind of talked about it for quite some time before we put it on there's just no good way to say it your mm -hmm. jobs are at risk your lives are at risk everybody in america now if we the way that this works i think you said it in a previous episode maybe just la last episode mike um was the uh was the was the um small business right your audio is out Hello. Hello. I think it was in this episode that I was talking about small business. It was between <laughs> it was between episodes. Oh. So then if it was this, so between episodes then. Well, yeah. So then I think that experience is going to matter more than product as time goes on. Experience and knowledge. And 
knowledge and nourishment of the human experience and the understanding that maybe there is an afterlife, but as long as you're here, you might as well have the most fulfilling experience possible. And thank goodness the founding fathers put those simple words in it. We talk about that a lot. I bring it up all the time. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's those the point. words are going to help us a lot. And, and those words are those the, are the re- Those are the requirements. I consider that the BRD or the project <laughs> definition document you, for this whole thing. Can you expand thing. on that, please, Banker? I mean, I think that what was... The, sorry, a business requirements document. It's, something, it's a need. We're saying, you know what? As, as an organization of people, we have a need for a better life. We, we want to build something that enables us to pursue happiness and then come on as a, a, an answer, a solution, a tool, a product, a, a system, the government, <laughs> the republic, the republic to answer that need from the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was said, this is what we deserve. This is who we are. This is what we deserve and why we deserve it. And we're going to, and we're going to have it. And then, we made it happen subsequent constitutions later. We implemented it and now we, now we get to make it better and we need to make it way better and we can. We've, we've proven all the parts. We've tested so many components. Now we can just reconfigure it. Forget sliced bread. Let's, uh, let's, let's build bigger and better. So with that in mind, let's talk about the myth of the retirement and what would be better. What would be better is doing what you want to do until you die. That's the best thing, like to be serving a purpose. That is the innate driver in humans. It's not to get a paycheck. A paycheck doesn't motivate humans. It hasn't been around that long. (laughs) The money, you know, the money also hasn't been around that long. That's not really what's motivating the humans. It's what they get with it from it. It's, it's a transaction, right? It's what comes next. It, it's not for the paycheck. It's not for the dollar. It's for what those things can bring. That, that's where the fulfillment is. So we just created those systems, right? And now, we, and now we get to change them. And there's so many things that would be better than what we have. And a lot of them, we just, we use the tools we have to build the bridge to that future and we can do it. Um, the retirement myth came, was born, you know, out of this relationship with back in the day when, when companies took care of their workers and realized workers with paychecks bought things. That was a relationship. That was a contract, social contract. It was a bond. And not only that, we would give you a pension, right? You would give us your hard labor. We all get 80 years. My 80 years are going to be up in the bell tower watching you while you build all my cars and make me rich. We both get 80 years, but mine are going to be different than yours, okay? And here's a little bit something to make it okay. I'm going to give you an account that's going to take care of you when you can stop working because you're going to be tired and beat up at some point. And I recognize that because I'm also a human and here's our contract, okay? That's where retirement came from. I don't want to be beat up and tired and old. And then what do I do? I just want to love what I do and do it until I die. I think everyone wants to do that. What is the point of this retirement other than to a company to say, you are no longer 
as valuable and here is a system for relieving you of your duties in fact we should always have some sort of system in place to make sure if you want to live your best life and you don't want the four bedroom house and you don't want an acre of land you just want a small place to sleep at night and you want to go out and be a street artist like we should enable that and they should be able to live their best life till their dying day and the thing is that person who would have maybe wanted to do that by the time they've hit that age their back is out they can't bend over right they can't go down on their knees because they can't get back up and why because a company has squeezed everything they could out of you but what if you had the choice what if as the people we could say you know what i i've enjoyed working for the last 10 years i'm going to take a small break because my freedom and my pursuit of happiness relies on it and we should all say good on you it's an american dream live the way you want to live as long as you don't impact others in this shared prosperity not redistribution we talk about it a lot citizens prerogative advocates that there is a baseline a livable amount of money that is reasonable yeah yeah and and the idea of redistribution is just like the right to work uh, redistribution just indicates how much how big the problem is because if you have an imbalance that means the system's not working to begin with the distribution was wrong at the start right I mean, you can't say, oh, we can't do redistribution. Well, then how about we just fix the distribution problem? How about we fix the equality part of the equation, the part of the contract that's been broken with these people where, where there's bottomless greed? How many people have to starve? It's, it's a very wonky, off, lopsided place to be. And I just want to say that if you don't think this relationship can get worse, okay, this right to work situation and such, in some countries, you have to submit a picture with your resume, right? In some countries, they actually work on your physical appearance to make a decision about your ability to work. So they I do that know. in our country too. Uh, <laughs> to a degree, right? Who, who doesn't person, have a Zoom? Who doesn't have a Zoom interview nowadays? Yeah, it's true, right? Like, like there really should be blinders <laughs> on, blind justice. Yeah, that's a whole other hiring and all. That's another. I that's think a whole other story. But in that sense, though, you, you you think about what right to work. There is no right to work. No. It is a system of 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 hoops that you have to jump through and the management has jumped through those hoops and everybody has joined the game and, and everyone says, welcome to the game, start to jump. And that's what we're asking is, is that right? Why can't we decide the game? Put the game back in our hands. So employers know, just imagine if the employer knew that you could just leave at will because you really don't need this. I guarantee employers will start treating you better once they know their citizen, the citizenship can just turn around and walk out the door and be completely fine. Yeah, the playing field is not level. The, you know, A, the rules are already, the rules are rigged, but even if the rules were a level playing field, who's in, you know, do we, do we have the proper type of enforcement? Are we comfortable with it? 
I don't know about any of that. I, I don't think that's in place. But I, I want to leave people, we're going to have to wrap this up, and I want to leave people just thinking about the fact that um, don't plan to retire dot, 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 you know. Make sure you're thinking about what you want to be doing for the rest of your life. I think that's critical, and I don't think it's something enough people do. Um, and, you know, whether or not it, it makes a living or it can return some income to you, later in life, so be it. But I think everybody should be thinking about that because the current environment or the structures that we've put in place to care for workers long-term are not viable. And so for the moment, everyone's going to need to like figure out what's going on for themselves. So think about that. And then in the meantime, thinking about what we're going to be talking about, <laughs> which is better ways to do this, other things we can be doing. You mentioned the floor, right? I just want to come back to that before we wrap because I think that's just one example of a stepping stone that's right before us, right? It hooks into Andrew Yang and a lot of other people. I read a book called The Fair Shot and I apologize the author escapes my memory in the moment, but he was one of the founders of Facebook, I believe. And he went and looked into um, philanthropy quite a bit. Long story short, this basic income idea is huge for us to just install floor for the time being. People are suffering. It's a very difficult time. I think the pandemic is, you know, in, in so many ways is showing the weaknesses of the current implementation. So if we take a step back, we can put in a floor. People who need money get money. People solve the problems in their lives themselves the best. No program solves it for them better than they do. Give people a little money, they will solve their problems and figure it out. Give homeless people a home, they're no longer homeless, and then they figure out how to continue that rolling forward and remain housed. There's so many examples of this, not anecdotally, but study, scientific study information about this and you know the effects of these things so at the end of the day we're hung up on people getting free money and we will talk about why that myth has been perpetrated but what's more important is looking at the positive side and the reciprocal feedback loop if the relationship between labor and capital or workers and their management is broken lopsided we have inequality then take it out of the hands that relationship is sour maybe we need a little bit of a divorce give people money outside of that structure you will support the economy we see it with stimulus right all of these covid checks now that have been hung up if they were coming out on a regular basis we would have established a floor of economic activity what happens when you give people money who need money it gets spent where does it get spent in our economy it establishes a floor of economic activity. It establishes a floor for poverty below which people should not be able to fall. It's a win-win system. I don't know how people can drive down the street and see homeless individuals and not have your heart just drop out. 
I, it's tough to me and, and I want to help people. But I think all of us have that sense of helplessness where if you help one individual, there's five more down the road waiting for a handout, right? This is, this is a problem that cannot be solved at the individual level. This is an institutional problem. And homelessness in the supposedly greatest nation in the world um, is, is unacceptable. And the American people are too focused on judging a person from, for being homeless and not focusing on how they became homeless in the first place. We are obsessed with categorization. We're obsessed with being retired. We're obsessed with being homeless. <laughs> in that sense, when you categorize a person as homeless, you dehumanize them. And really you need to ask yourself, not, not if a person is homeless, but how, why? How did this happen in our country? What is it Oprah? Oprah says, it's not what's wrong with that person. And she was quoting somebody else, maybe. But it's not what's wrong with that person. It's what happened to that person. That's what perfect. environment, right, uh, attributed to that? What conditions? And I'm not saying that people don't have the capacity to fall. Of course, we all do. But how far does it make sense to fall? I mean, so many of us could at any po point in time be precariously close to that edge and sometimes it's an abyss rather than a floor and that's not that's not fair and a lot of people will never even come close to understanding what it's like um it just doesn't make sense i think we're going to wrap up there for more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, register to log in and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. We have been your hosts. Thank you, Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This has truly been a retirement of retirement. <laughs> It's been something, that's for sure. And I suspect we're going to be probably coming back to this very soon. Because I'm not done talking about it. I'm angry. I'm ready to stop retiring and start living. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners. We saved the best for last. You are the best and have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fessling Studios, Inc. <laughs>